Hey, everybody, this is Jason Griwa, and welcome back to The Fresh Wire. I am your host, as I have been, as this is episode three. I'm recording this at 10.17 p.m., August 22nd, 2023. Hope you're having a good morning, afternoon, evening, night, or any of those in between. Let's just jump right into it, because a lot has happened in the past week. I originally planned to do this Monday night, but it's in a way kind of good that I waited an extra day or so. I do want to do this every Monday night, so if you are interested in keeping up to date and the latest in uh, entertainment, technology, video games, and everything in between, make sure to follow on whatever platform you use to listen to my podcasts. Okay, this is actually going to be a cut in from this podcast. I just filmed this entire thing, so from here on out, it'll be one take Jake for me, but I actually wanted to add this in. I can't believe I completely forgot to mention it. It happened very recently. Charles Martinet, the legendary voice of Super Mario for all these beloved games from 1996's Super Mario 64. Nintendo gave out a statement saying that he's stepping away from the role to become a Mario ambassador. I can't believe I completely forgot to mention this. He's, I grew up with Mario. Mario was one of the main characters I grew up with, you know, in his fantastic video games and his instantly recognizable voice. And... Personally, I mean, I, to be fair, I didn't really notice the differences with Super Mario Bros. Wonder when that game was announced earlier this year. It's confirmed that he's not voicing Mario in that game. It's unknown if he's going to be voicing the other characters in the game. I'm not sure. But that's a pretty big deal. And I did want to mention this. Maybe I'll have a more dedicated version of this discussion in my next podcast. But I did want to mention this. It came out very recently. I don't remember if it was earlier today or Monday, but it did come out recently, and I had to confirm it. And I can't believe I forgot to mention it in this podcast originally, but I had to mention it here. It's huge news. It really should have been the first thing I covered. But Charles Martinet, he will remain as a Mario ambassador, so maybe for the incoming voice of Super Mario and the other legendary characters in the Mushroom Kingdom, he'll be maybe overseeing it, and he'll also continue to be interacting with fans around the world. That's what the statement said that I remember. So, huge deal. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on it when the voice actor for Mario comes out for the new game coming in October. I'll definitely cover that in the podcast. And, yeah, pretty huge news. Unexpected. Some people hinted at it due to the changes in Mario's voice in the Wonder announcement trailer. Again, I didn't really notice it, but I can kind of see it, or rather hear it. And, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it goes, because it's going to be very difficult to replace someone like Charles Martinet. I mean, for comparison, Tom Kenny with SpongeBob. Tom Kenny, it's going to be horrible to say this, but, you know, these sort of voice actors, they're not going to be here forever. Eventually, they're going to retire, hopefully, um, later in their life. You know, Tom Kenny, he's been the voice of SpongeBob since its inception, 1989. That was 24 years ago. Super Mario 64 was 1996, 27 years ago. That was inevitable. I mean, it's always going to be. And I respect that it seems like it's going to be kind of like a transition, but maybe, I mean, hopefully this new voice is going to be what I'm hoping for, what everyone's going to hope for. A fantastic person, fantastic voice that recreates something as iconic as Mario's. Woohoo! So I'm hoping for the best. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcasting. All 
All right, so we're going to start off with this article that says a majority of Americans that have been surveyed support the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strikes. It seems like a recurrence that I keep mentioning these strikes because to talk about entertainment, it's kind of difficult to not talk about this. Development for almost everything in Hollywood has pretty much halted for now, I think, over a month with the actors and everyone else striking. This poll, done by Data for Progress, says 67% support among likely voters for the strikes by WGA and SAG-AFTRA. 18% oppose them. 48%, so just under a minimum, uh, majority, sorry, have an unfavorable view of the major studios. And 31% support the studios. So overall, it's continuing to be a majority or close to majority of support from people that you know are in support of the writers and actors, which I respect and I support and I agree with. Now, for specifics, Data for Progress is a progressive polling firm that conducts surveys also on issues including education, climate, healthcare, and workers' rights. They surveyed 1,124 respondents between August 3rd and 5th. The survey finding um, mixed answers for the primary reason for the two strikes, 33% citing fair compensation for streaming shows, 33% citing pay and benefits, and 16% answering protections from artificial intelligence. All of those have been major concerns with the negotiations on a new contract for these unions. So this being 33-33-16 is pretty split on what the primary reason is, but they're all pretty important reasons, at least in my opinion. So as a recap, the WGA has been on strike since May 2nd. The Performers Union, SAG-AFTRA, has been on strike since July 14th. So for the actors, it's been over a month now. For the writers, it's been three and a half months. Pretty crazy. It's, I think it's getting close from what I remember. I think the longest was around 150, 160 days. So it's, it's getting there, um, which continues to be a large impact on the content we watch on our televisions, our computers, our phones. It continues to have a big impact and it's unfortunate that the writers and actors have to go through this just so that they can have a fair situation. So hopefully, again, it ends, hopefully it ends soon, the strike, um, in a way that benefits the writers and actors. That's what I'll put for that. It seems like a, a reoccurrence. It's a, becoming a consistent thing that I mention this, but again, it is pretty big news in the entertainment industry. The Entertainment Community Fund, speaking of WGA and SAG-AFTRA, the Entertainment Community Fund has raised more than $7 million, distributing over $4.7 million to over 2,300 film and TV workers as of Friday. They've been distributing, uh, according to the fund, they've been distributing about four dollars to $500,000 per week compared to about 75000 per week in the first half of the year. The greatest number of applications, California, Atlanta, and New York. Formerly known as the Actors Fund, they help film and television workers in need with emergency financial assistance to cover basic living expenses such as rent, groceries, health insurance, and medical bills, as well as mental health support. Understandably, as you're not working, you're not really getting paid. 
from one executive that I remember in some exclusive story that they're kind of waiting this out because eventually the writers and maybe actors will eventually have to give up because they're going to struggle with affording where they are, affording to get essentials. It was pretty horrible to read. Um, the article was well written, but it was nasty knowing that an executive actually thinks that way and that it's likely more than one possibly thinks that way. So since May 1st, the fund has raised over $7 million from over 8,400 donors. So again, it's pretty unfortunate. I mean, it's good that these people, it looks like because they're able to give more money, it's not as bad, maybe, if they weren't getting this much money. I, I'm, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, as long as these people are able to continue striking for what they want and are able to continue living normal where they are, then I respect people that support this. And for for everyone's sake, I hope it just concludes in a way that benefits them in the end. It Maybe it won't be soon. Maybe it will. It's impossible to know. I think I heard or read that the Writers Guild, I think, are negotiating. If not SAG-AFTRA, might be SAG-AFTRA. One of those two. They've been consistently negotiating. But it seems like both will have to come back. So it's kind of like a package deal at this point. Small little last thing. In the entertainment industry, can't all just be about WGA and SAG-AFTRA, even though it really feels like it has to be. But this is a little update on something that was announced in June, where Netflix would acquire some content from HBO in the U.S. and other regions. As companies are trying to release some of their content onto other platforms or maybe forcing people to, instead of streaming it on a service, that you have to buy the content outright. Or, as some people have said, when this whole process began, I think, last year with HBO Max, where they were moving a bunch of animated content for the residuals. They didn't have to pay as much in residuals because they were no longer on a streaming platform. It was even worse for content that was exclusive to the platform, and there was no other way to get it, kind of making some shows legally lost media. You could still have that content, but if the only way you're able to stream, stream it is on a streaming service, and that content disappeared, that was it. If you were to watch it now, it would be illegal, technically, unless there's some catch-all that maybe I don't know of, but... If the only way to watch it was on streaming service, you know, I mean, it, it sucks, it's stupid, but that is how it was, and luckily, I don't think any of the content that was on Max that was removed be, is lost media, or legally it is, but you know, hopefully you know what I mean. So, some content from Max or HBO Max will be joining Netflix September, so next month. Band of Brothers was a seminal war-limited series that aired between September and November 2001. Good timing. A lot of people that are now well-known in the industry were in this when it was in their early years, such as Michael Fassbender, Tom Hardy, James McAvoy. The Pacific is also coming to Netflix. That had some pretty well-known people including Rami Balik and John Bernthal. That show aired on HBO between March and May 2010. So both of these shows are coming 
to Netflix when they were originally HBO Max, maybe Max exclusives. It will not impact their availability on the Max platform, however. It seems like I think they are still on Max, but now they will be on both platforms. So this isn't the example of a show leaving a platform to be on a third-party platform, but I'm pretty sure either that's happening soon, if it hasn't happened already. I know another example being that some Disney Plus shows, including, I think, Loki, are coming to Blu-ray for the first time. These Disney Plus exclusive originals or whatever are now going to be available on a physical format, so you won't need an internet connection to watch them unless you download them, but then it's only accessible for a few days. But then now you can have it on a physical release in probably better audio quality. Now no worries about buffering or streaming or automatic quality problems. It's just going to be on very high quality. It'll be the highest quality version you'll be able to watch for something, and that's good. You know, I know Stranger Things was also a pretty well-known example of being released on DVD. I don't know if all the seasons are on. I think the first, I know the first one for sure. I've seen it at Target. But they're also only on, like, DVD quality unless they are on a higher quality at this point. But, you know, situations like that, I fully support as well. You know, something shouldn't just be exclusive on a streaming service. It should eventually be available to watch either being able to pay for it directly so you always have access or get a physical version so you know it'll never hopefully go away because if it's like i said on a streaming service exclusive and then it gets removed there's no legal way to watch it and that's pretty unfortunate for the countless hours that people put into these sort of shows especially the animated ones now we're going to be jumping in and going into video games. A lot has happened with Microsoft over the past few days specifically, so I've got a few things to cover involving Microsoft. Now, the big news for probably a lot of people, I mean, a lot of this is big news, but I'll start with, i got to start with something. The Xbox 360 game marketplace will be shutting down July 29th, 2024. A blog post confirming it on Xbox's official website. November this year marks 18 years since the Xbox 360 launch. Remember, 2005. And not only have a lot of 360 games continue to stay up online, some streaming apps you could continue to use. You could still play the games you own. There's been, like, so many games that have released for the 360 since its launch in 2005. It continued to get new games even well into the Xbox One's life. And... Thanks to backwards compatibility, Xbox One and Xbox Series console owners can play a ton of different Xbox 360 and even original Xbox games probably well into the future. Backwards compatibility. You gotta love it. But starting July 29th, 2024, you will no longer be able to buy new games, DLC, and other content, entertainment content, for, uh, from the Xbox 360 store on the console and on marketplace.xbox.com, which is the Xbox 360 marketplace. This also means the Microsoft Movies and TV app will also no longer function on that day. So any content that you have will no longer be viewable on your 360 after that date. Until then, you can continue buying games and DLC from the 360 and from marketplace.xbox.com. It won't affect your ability to play these games or DLC that you've already purchased, 
And from what I remember reading in FAQ, I think it's in this article actually, you'll still be able to access the download history on your 360. So it's not going to be, um, it won't be that catastrophic because from what I also read, Actually, it says it right here. After July 29th, 2024, you'll still be able to purchase hundreds of great backward-compatible Xbox 60 and original Xbox games and DLC on, like I said, Xbox One, Series X and S, and Xbox.com. But from what I remember, if you purchase them there and they're playable on your 360, you should also be able to play them on your 360. They should just pop up in your purchase or download history on the console. So you'll still be able to buy some games, but... This does mean not every game that released for the 360, especially not for the original Xbox, has been backwards compatible. There are original game, uh, original Xbox games that were playable on the 360 that are not playable on the One or Series consoles. I can't remember specifics, and I might, e I might even be wrong, but there's going to be a lot of games that Microsoft didn't officially get in with backwards compatibility, and they confirmed around the time the Series consoles launched that they were going to move away from focusing on adding more to the backwards compatibility list. So this is a pretty big deal, if it wasn't obvious. The Xbox 360 launched 2005. By the time it, the store shuts down, it'll have been around for over 18 and a half years. That's incredible. For a console, like if you bought yours in 2005, assuming it didn't have a red ring of death, it could still work. You can still buy games on it. You can still stream stuff. It's fantastic. It's actually pretty impressive that it lasted this long. Now, for context, a uh, little comparison to other consoles that have had on online service and have shut down. One of the first to do this that was popular enough, I guess, to have quite a lifespan because there is the Dreamcast, but it didn't really have like a proper online store. The Xbox did. The Xbox launched... November 2001 in the U.S. Xbox Live launched a year later, and then all of its online services were shut down in, I think, May 2010. Online services. They're confirming that you'll still be able to play your games online if their servers are still up beyond July 2024. So this is actually not as bad, but that's with Microsoft. A comparison with Nintendo, it, Microsoft looks much better compared to Nintendo, if you boot up your Wii, your DSi, your 3DS, wow, yeah, 3DS, and your Wii U, which launched in November 2012, their online shops have shut down. Now, for the 3DS and Wii U, you can still play online games. The Wii and DS in general, you can't. Now, the DS is older than the 360, but that shut down several years ago. Same for the Wii. The Wii released a year after the 360, so it's pretty impressive that the 360 has lasted this long to being able to buy games, and it's still going to for another 11 months and a week. Pretty impressive. Also, I might as well mention with Sony, their PS3, which released a year after the 360, they, in 2021, I think we're talking about soon shutting down the PS3 store along with the PSP and PS Vita. And they ended up not... Uh, there was a lot of backlash, so they ended up not doing it with the PS3 and Vita, and that was in 2021 or so, 2020. They have yet to announce if they're going to do that soon. They probably will soon with the 360 doing it. 
but they did do it with the PSP, I do want to mention, um, in 2021. The PSP store was shut down. However, again, the 360 launched a year prior. So this is still pretty impressive, and you'll still be able to access, you know, gaming, multiplayer gaming and whatnot. But if you did buy any movies or TV shows through Microsoft, you won't be able to watch them on the 360. I think we've been on this topic a bit long. So, yeah, let's keep going. Onwards with Microsoft. This was a big deal that was announced very early this morning. This article says 2.20 a.m. Microsoft to sell off Activision cloud gaming rights to Ubisoft, or Ubisoft, however you say it, in bid for UK approval. A big restructuring for Microsoft's massive Activision Blizzard deal. Microsoft continues to negotiate with the United Kingdom because they're, at this point, the last big area that is blocking this massive deal to finalize and conclude. And once it does, Microsoft will own Activision Blizzard and everything with it. But now they're going to change this, uh, change a big part of their deal to appease the regulators there because one of the big focuses has been on cloud gaming competition. Microsoft has a huge, huge part of the cloud gaming space, thanks to Xbox. You know, with Game Pass Ultimate, you can play a bunch of different games on your phone, on your computer, whatever, without needing powerful hardware or anything, or even an Xbox. You can get Game Pass Ultimate and play hundreds of games without owning anything. I feel like I'm advertising, but I'm not. So as a result, they gave a bunch of different companies 10-year agreements that they'll be able to stream all these Activision Blizzard games on their platform, or even Microsoft games. I think it's mainly Activision Blizzard because it's a huge deal there. At one point, the concern was in the competition of video games itself, but that seems to have faded. Well, a big change. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read out what the Microsoft president, uh, Brad Smith, said. To address the concerns about the impact of the proposed acquisition um, on cloud game streaming raised by the UK Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, we're restructuring the transaction to acquire a narrow, narrower oh, sorry, set of rights. This includes executing an agreement effective at the closing of our merger that transfers the cloud streaming rights for all current and new Activision Blizzard PC and console games released over the next 15 years to Ubisoft Entertainment SA, leading global game publisher. The rights will be in perpetuity. That's incredible. That is genuinely insane. 15 years? A lot of these agreements have been 10 years. Nintendo and Sony, there's... I'm, I actually can't confirm on Sony, but Nintendo's was 10 years. They're guaranteeing that all these... Uh, all, Call of Duty games, specifically for that one, but they've been doing as much as they can, Microsoft, on appeasing regulators that this deal will not be the end of the world. But this is big enough that it's triggering a new regulatory investigation that could last until October 18th. Ubisoft actually put on their X profile, I'm trying to say X instead of Twitter, RIP Twitter, saying that a new agreement will bring Ubisoft um, Activision Blizzard games to their streaming platform, Ubisoft Plus, upon the completion of Microsoft's acquiring of Activision Blizzard. 
and they'll be licensing the games to a range of cloud streaming services. So Ubisoft will now be the one handling where the games will be able to go on cloud streaming services. I'm assuming besides the one that have already been promised with agreements before this happened. So pretty much this was one of the biggest things about the agreement, the whole acquiring that it would be on the cloud gaming services and they were licensed over to a bunch of different ones and now they just said all right ubisoft will now handle it all so anything that ubisoft wants i guess will go through the restructured this article says the restructured transaction won't affect microsoft's obligations to the european commission though microsoft has made several gaming sorry several cloud gaming deals and regulators approved it Thanks to a free license to consumers in EU countries that would allow them to stream via any cloud game streaming services of their choice, all current and future Activision Blizzard PC console games that they have a license for. The article I'm reading, by the way, is from The Verge. Fantastic articles that they create. So the CMA will now assess the reworked deal and deliver a decision by the deadline of October 18th. So they're going to assess it. It's not a green light but it will surely make it better for Microsoft and improve their chances of getting this deal finalized, probably once the UK agrees with it and they give it the green light, the go-ahead, it'll probably be dusted off within days. So once this deal goes through, if you want to play an Activision Blizzard game, it can pretty much be on almost any cloud gaming streaming platform at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes on to PlayStation Plus services in the future. It, it's insane. These games are going to be everywhere. It, and for 10 years, I mean, in this case, 15 now, those extra five years, Ubisoft can decide, all right, we'll keep it everywhere for another five years. 15? That's 2038. That's insane. It's going to be 15 years before Microsoft can finally say, all right, Activision Blizzard games are Xbox and PC exclusive. But in the meantime, they could be on PlayStation. I think with uh, Ubisoft Plus Classics, I read in one uh, an article, because Ubisoft Plus is technically on Sony. And maybe they could eventually put it on the Switch. This, this quote's also interesting. Again, by the Microsoft president. Ubisoft will compensate Microsoft for the cloud streaming rights to Activision Blizzard games, through a one-off payment and through a market-based wholesale pricing mechanism, including an option that supports pricing based on usage. So I guess like hourly that you could play these games and you'll be charged. That's my assumption. It will also give Ubisoft the opportunity to offer Activision Blizzard's games to cloud gaming services running non-Windows operating systems. So make it where, because you know, Windows is owned by Microsoft. So if it's on a non-Windows operating system, it's even less under Microsoft's control. Like uh, Linux or Linux, whatever. And Mac OS by Apple. If Ubisoft Plus is on those or a cloud streaming service, a cloud gaming streaming service that Ubisoft wants it on there, well, now it's on there, including maybe even Sony or Nintendo. 15 years, I mean, I, I don't even have to say PS5 or Switch. 15 years from now, those are going to be, I assume, long gone, obsolete, retro consoles. Crazy to think the Switch or PlayStation 5 to be retro consoles, but that's possible in 15 years. 15 years, we might even have a PS7 if we're still alive by then. So this is a big deal. Um, Ubisoft Plus multi-access subscription, that's also where Activision Blizzard games will go to. And this specifically says PC, Xbox, Amazon Luna, which is Amazon's cloud gaming service, and PlayStation via Ubisoft Plus Classics, which I mentioned earlier. Big deal. Microsoft told The Verge 
that the company now is not expecting to close the deal with Activision Blizzard until early October. So that's the assumption that it won't be at October 18th, it'll be early October. So, okay, for Microsoft, that's hopefully... Hopefully this is what breaks the camel's back, in a way, for Microsoft, and that this deal finally closes, and all your beloved Activision Blizzard games, including Call of Duty, Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush Saga... Because it's also Activision, uh, it's also King, which is owned by Activision Blizzard. Crash Bandicoot, all these beloved characters and games, once this is finalized, will be owned by Microsoft. Pretty big deal. Crazy to think about. Banjo Kazooie, Master Chief, for the video game fanatics listening to this, Banjo Kazooie, Master Chief, Call of Duty, all of these under the same company. That's crazy to think about. It's like, they own, they're going to own so many different beloved characters. They could finally, if they really wanted to, make their own Super Smash Brothers. I'm just saying. It'd be, I think, pretty freaking sweet. Another Microsoft topic. This funny article title. Microsoft kills Connect again. The Azure Connect developer kits will no longer be in development. Connect and Microsoft has had a pretty rough history. The first Connect launched with the Xbox 60. Then there was one redesigned and updated for Xbox One, where originally, I remember this back in 2013 when they announced it, it was going to be required to be plugged in at all times. It was always going to be used. It wasn't until shortly before and after the launch of the console that while it still came with it, it wasn't required in everything. And then a few months later, an Xbox One launched without the Connect included. It's what made the Xbox One cost $500 to the PS4's 400 and the console war was just that much more one-sided, I guess I'll say. But yeah, the Kinect is being discontinued. They stopped developing it in 2017, the depth camera with microphone. Brought it back in 2019 as a different device, different platform, more, I guess, developer-oriented. That's literally the name, Azure Connect Developer Kit, and that they will be able to be purchasable through the end of October or until supplies last, a Microsoft official said. And if you already have one, they promise that you can keep using it without disruption. So, pretty big deal. RIP Connect, yet again. I mean, it was RIP for two years, it seems, and then it's uh, ending production again. But it says they've, they're partnered with some outside companies to provide options for people who need similar types of devices to the Azure Connect developer kit. So, it's not the end of the world for people that need it. There's probably going to be different options, including what this spokesperson said. An alternate suggestion is the Femto Bolt, which uses the depth camera module found in the developer kit. So pretty big news if you were someone that utilizes this a lot as a developer or maybe in like a business or something. Pretty big deal. Wanted to mention that rounding out the Microsoft section, but we're still diving into PCs because NVIDIA is launching. They officially announced DLSS 3.0 something that will work on all of their modern RTX graphics cards and will improve ray tracing in some different ways, including what they're calling ray reconstruction. It'll be available for all existing RTX graphics cards. So if you have the 2060 all the way to the absolutely insane 4090, you're going to get improvements, assuming games implement DLSS 3.5. 
It says it's primarily, NVIDIA is saying it's targeting it at games that offer path tracing, which is known also as full ray tracing. I know Cyberpunk 2077 received something like path tracing a few months ago. And I was, I was able to try it myself. I have an RTX 3080 in my computer. And uh, not to brag, sincerely. And uh, it's pretty crazy how much it hurts performance for a computer with this sort of GPU. It, it is pretty insane. I had to turn on I had to turn on DLSS specifically so I could get some performance out of it, but DLSS 3 specifically introduced frame generation which required a 40 series GPU. So this will certainly help people to get higher frame rates while still getting good quality results. DLSS more often than not has been pretty impressive for its capability in lowering the resolution but still offering a pretty good image for what you're playing i know there's other attempts at something like this uh, amd has fsr intel has i think it's xe their ai solution but dlss is used by actual physical cores in nvidia's rtx gpus unlike fsr and intel's xe so it's not as detrimental, and it's overall been pretty uh, pretty good quality. It says here that this latest release isn't limited to just games. Creators will be able to utilize it as well in 3D editing apps like Chaos Vantage, D5 Render, and NVIDIA Omniverse. If you are an expert in any of these, I hope you're happy. It's going to take time. So DLSS 3 is still being added. It was introduced a while back at this point, along with RTX 40 series GPUs. Fortnite, it says it's getting the upgrade. And along with Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, when it releases on November 10th. At the same time, the FSR from AMD, Fidelity FX Super Resolution 3, is rumored to be launching in the coming days, which is also pretty good. Competition is good, usually. You would hope so. And the first games that will get DLSS 3.5 is Cyberpunk 2077. When it releases with its new DLC, September 26th. And Alan Wake 2, when it launches October 27th. Also, Portal with RTX, which I think was a community mod to add ray tracing. I think it was under the RTX Remix platform. We'll also get an upgrade to DLSS 3.5. Pretty impressive stuff. If you're confused what DLSS is, this paragraph helps. DLSS currently uses hand-tuned denoisers to fill in mix missing pixels for each lighting pass in a ray trace scene. Again, the article's from The Verge. Thank you. Pretty good articles. The result can include some losses of color accuracy, inaccurate lighting, and even occasional ghosting. NVIDIA is attempting to improve on this approach by using an AI-powered network that it claims generates higher-quality pixels. AI, AI, AI. You gotta love AI. So, it's always AI. DLSS 3.5 was trained on five more five times more data than 3, and it will be available as a separate option similar to the frame generation setting. It might be maybe a bit more tougher on the GPU, maybe, but it'll offer even better quality. That's my assumption. Pretty good. Um, I'm excited. If it's in games that I play consistently, which is unlikely because I mainly play competitive multiplayer games, then I will gladly check it out. Otherwise, uh, every now and then, maybe in a game that I'll check out, maybe a demo for, I'll, if it's there, I'll definitely try it myself. I wasn't able to really try DLSS 3. I don't have a 40 series GPU. 
and it is not enough of a reason to get one. Maybe the AV1 encoding, bit technical there, but pretty excited as long as it continues to improve for when I do eventually get a new computer decades from now. I'm partially getting. So, moving away from that sort of PC hardware into something maybe a little more friendly for people, Twitch, a video game streaming service, a platform that you can stream on, is testing what's a TikTok style feed, also known as what Twitch is calling a discovery feed, now rolling out to select users. They're experimenting with a feature that services clips in a new vertically scrolling feed called the discovery feed. It's an experiment rolling out to select users starting today. Actually, this X post was released today. It says, the official expo says, this limited experience will help us train our algorithm and get your feedback. Feature clips after every stream to get discovered in the feed, even if you're not in the experiment. So, so a lot of stuff is rolling out. Clips will only be horizontal clips. But Twitch says users will be able to see vertical clips as the feed evolves. Currently includes featured clips as well as popular ones. The article says Twitch joins companies like Amazon, Reddit, and Spotify in introducing a TikTok-like format. The Discovery feed was announced in July as part of a bunch of new features involving clips by Twitch, including the ability to directly export clips to TikTok. Pretty impressive stuff there. Doesn't sound that impressive, but you never know nowadays. So that was a quick, quick one. But yeah, Twitch getting into TikTok-style feeds seems like it's all the rage nowadays to have these sort of clips, these short videos that you can easily play on your phone. You can watch it in a minute or less, and then you keep moving on more and more. I think they're finally seeing how many hours some people put into TikTok. I was one of those, I was one of those people at that uh, some point. Not really anymore. I've kind of transitioned to hybrid of TikTok and Instagram reels. I know I'm crazy, but... That's just how it is, and as a result, I don't really watch these sort of shorts as much as I used to. It wasn't addicting, but it wasn't small. A little more on websites in general. YouTube is rounding their edges of their video players. I think I've noticed this myself. I'm, it says it's coming to all users, and if you're not seeing it now, you will soon. A spokesperson confirmed today that it is starting to be rolled out. Some people have been noticing them in the past day or so. I, I Maybe I noticed. I, mean, I don't think I noticed, but it seems like a small change because every all kinds of video players are rounding out their edges now, so I guess it kind of makes sense that YouTube will hop on the party wagon. This uh, person says that they are seeing it only when they're viewing the standard size video player, which I don't really do. I usually watch, try to watch my videos in theater mode. Um, so it's not rounded there. It seems like it still takes up as much as it can. Pretty interesting, small thing, but it's something to notice. Little little update on something I may have talked about before, that in iOS 17 beta, the end call button was moved. The whole call system was changed around. And it's been moved, it seems, again. Previously in iOS 16, there would be the mute, keypad, audio, ad call, FaceTime, contacts, 
and then the end call button right in the middle below it all. In iOS 17 beta, they kind of rehauled things a bit, simplified it. There would be speaker, FaceTime mute, add, which includes context, I assume, keypad, and end call. Now it's moved around again. Audio, and that might be based on the screenshots. FaceTime, mute, add, end, and keypad. So they move the end call button again. Pretty interesting. Uh, really isn't that big of a deal, but for a lot of people that are used to how something works for so long, it can be a big deal. I don't use an iPhone myself, but I know a lot of people do, so of course I'm going to mention it here. As I mentioned it before, whether or not it will be like this when iOS 17 officially releases later this year, obviously yet to be certain. There can always be things changed around from one beta to another, and when one launches, there could be even more changes, and that'll be that. Whether any of this sticks is completely unknown. You never know with Apple most of the time. So little little last bit of uh, gaming news from the tech. Now we're going to go back into gaming. I know I talked about DLSS, but this is something that caught my eye this morning. Obviously, I was not born when this was as relevant as it used to be. The Atari 2600. Well, Atari is releasing a new version of it called the Atari 2600 Plus. It's a smaller version that works with original 2600 and 7800 cartridges. So it's like a remaster, in a way, of a video game console. It's not like a mini console that were extremely hyped a few years ago. Nintendo did it with the NES and SNES. Sony did it with the PlayStation. I think Sega might have done it with the Genesis, but they were doing it for a long time prior. Now they're not really in anymore. I really see them hyped up. Apparently, reportedly, what I saw was a Dreamcast Mini was being considered, but the headline was they determined people probably weren't going to spend $300 for it. Good call there. But the Atari 2600 Plus will be launching November 17th for $130. Pre-orders open now. Fully functioning 80% scale version of the console that also has an HDMI port. You would hope so in 2023. And it comes with a 10-in-1 game cartridge. But the big thing is that it supports the original Atari 2600 and Atari 7800 game cartridges. And it will even work with the original joystick and paddle controllers. It looks like it's going to include a controller. I would hope so. Otherwise, it looks like it hasn't changed a whole lot. It really does look like an 80% scale. I, I didn't know it was 80%, but it, it looks like a slightly smaller version of the original Atari 2600 that is now out and about, ready to be making its big comeback. It says here it's powered by a system-on-a chip that is a low-power quad-core chip, so it's emulation. Now, Atari 2600, very old console, same for the 7800, and it makes sense that you don't really need a whole lot of power to emulate these. It'd be insane if it was the original processor or something. I'm not sure how much functionality it will have if you don't have a cartridge in. 130 bucks, and it'll include 10 a 10-in-1 game cartridge, to me, seems a bit pricey. That seems more expensive than what Nintendo was selling with their SNES Classic, which included a lot more games. And I think it was less than 130 bucks, And that was years ago. Now, this one is going to cost more, and I don't think it's any games built in. You're going to need the cartridge. Once you're done with those 10 games, well, technically, you could just go to eBay and buy up some games. Um, 
And it says here it supports the Mr. Run and Jump cartridge that Atari released for the 2600 earlier this year. I remember seeing this in the trailer for the 2600 Plus. So I guess it's actually a recently released game. Huh. It looks pretty interesting if that's how it looks on the cartridge. No, it's on other platforms. So I guess they're going to make a I guess they're making a version of the I mean, it released earlier this year, so I'm going to assume it's already out there. It probably looks like it belongs on the Atari 2600. The screenshots I'm looking at looked like a modern game, but not a bad-looking one. If you want to add more controllers, the company will also sell CX40 Plus joysticks and CX30 Plus replica paddle controllers. Seems like a pretty cool thing. If you're very nostalgic with the Atari 2600, this could be a good clutch holiday packaging gift. Don't know why I worded it that way. For context, in 2021, Atari released the befuddling Atari VCS, which was which combined Atari and their whole console ordeal with streaming, but it costed, I guess, $300, give or take. So this is a much better price in comparison, compatibility with a ton of different game, game cartridges that are probably easy to find on like eBay, maybe even Amazon. Pretty cool thing. Uh, I'll be curious to see if it if it can run at all without a cartridge inside. Now, a little small thing about the DLSS uh, that was also recently announced this morning specifically is Half-Life 2 is being remade by a community-led team into ray tracing goodness. As I mentioned before, with Portal, with RTX, it's a RTX remix project. Half-Life 2 is next. Half-Life 2, with its successors, uh, its sequels, partial sequels, Episode 1 and 2, are considered some of the most iconic games ever created. When it launched in 2004, it was genuinely jaw-dropping. Its capability, its graphics, its shadowing and lighting, its story, along with it, the launch of Valve's Steam program, which now has taken over on as, an, as more than an essential for every PC gamer out there, it's it's a whole big deal. There's some screenshots that compare the differences. It genuinely looks amazing. Community modders for Half-Life 2 and for Valve games in general have genuinely impressed everyone from time to time again. It genuinely looks like it's going to be a very big update. I think it's in early development, so there's no release date yet, but from the screenshots shown of a small area, if it's going to look like this, a lot of people are going to come back to it. I think if you own Half-Life 2, the way with Portal with RTX, it was, I think, a free DLC that you could get, assuming you had the original game on your Steam account. So I'm going to assume this is the same thing. This is going to be probably a big... For context, earlier this year, a modder developed and released the original Half-Life from 1998 with full path trace, which was much... It's much more intense for any sort of GPU to run. This, I don't know if it's going to go full path tracing or how far it'll go in general or if anything could be turned off maybe to improve performance on lower-end GPUs that support ray tracing. It looks great from the few screenshots and from the trailer I saw, but it will be curious. I don't have the original Half-Life 2 specifically, but I will definitely check this out either way. This looks pretty impressive. And... We're going to finish it off in just a moment. We're going to talk about a lot of entertainment, video gaming, 
and everything in between. Not a whole lot on VR. I know I mentioned VR is something I would try to consistently cover, but it just doesn't seem like a lot of VR is being covered nowadays. I still hope for that MetaConnect next month to really be an eye-opener for the MetaQuest 3. I still don't think I'm going to get it. 500 bucks is quite a bit nowadays. I mean, it has been for a while, but you know that that's not impulse purchase. The Quest 2 being at 300 with the Black Friday pricing it had back in 2021, that was closer to impulse purchasing. That's why I got one, and I've had a pretty solid time with it. So just a quick thing, because I always try to focus on futurology, even though it seems like more and more when I try to, when I want to cover something, it is clearly outside of what I'm, of what my delicate little brain is capable of understanding. So I'm going to take a look at that. An autonomous electric ship is halfway through its two-year testing in Norway. All right, this looks pretty interesting. It's being promoted, the vessel is being promoted as a low-emission alternative to road transport. I'm seeing this article from, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say this, Baird Maritime, B-A-I-R-D, Maritime being used to transport goods between its warehouses in the western side of the fjord and its distribution center on the eastern side. The project partners expect that it will yield CO2 emissions reductions as much as 5,000 tons each year. Whatever can get us closer to not having to worry about uh, horrific global warming is A-OK in my book. 67 meters is the length of each ship. And its capacity is 16 fully loaded, 29-ton standard EU trailers drawn by some pretty big battery packs, 1,846 kilowatt hours. Pretty good, pretty good situation there. And I hope this test leads into something that will have more people going for it as well in across the world. All right, small, small little thing there, but I always want to try to get this Futurology segment in each of my episodes but that'll do it for me thank you all for tuning in listening got a had a lot to cover over the past few days that have been rolling through it doesn't seem like things will end in crazy stuff happening i know gamescom opening night live happened earlier today it was a bunch of new gameplay and maybe a few reveals here and there nothing groundbreaking that had me cover except for i guess i'll say quickly the small little thing at the beginning i saw most of it live and someone got onto the stage talked about gta 6 i guess i had to mention it here um and i guess i'll do a quick roll through of what may have also been talked about i know i mentioned alan wake 2 i think the dlss 3.5 thing might have been mentioned there if not well that was mentioned that was announced earlier today not the game but the dlss 3.5 but there was new gameplay there um yeah it was mainly some new games shown off and some new gameplay something that i really needed to put in this podcast but otherwise if you're interested if you're interested in stuff like that send over a voice message if you're able to and maybe i'll cover stuff like that in the future i know i'll probably be looking at the game awards once that happens in december assuming i keep the podcast going to then maybe i do Hopefully I do. But until then, thank you all for listening. And I hope you have a good day, night, or everything else in between. And I will catch you all in the next one. Till then, take care of yourselves and have a dang good one. Peace.